I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. Graham Mertz, late game heroics. We'll discuss that as they lead the Gators to a key victory over South Carolina. An emerging triple threat on the offense in the receiving game. The defense struggles but comes through with stops and key moments. And we'll discuss, we'll do a little recap of the first part of the season here, the first seven games. And we'll look ahead to the post-bi-week slate. Will. Let's just get right into it here. We're going to set the scene in Columbia, South Carolina. Florida is down 31 to 27, what has been a shootout to this point. The offense does its job and gets into scoring position, but is forced to settle for a field goal. There's 11:32 left in the fourth quarter. Trace Mack, who's been perfect on the year, lines up for a 48-yard kick and it's blocked. Gut punch for the Gators. Five plays, 69 yards and two and a half minutes later, Josh Simon catches a short pass from Rattler, turns, builds up some steam, and trucks Jordan Castell on the way to the end zone. South Carolina now leads 37-27. How many times in the last few years is Florida winning this game in this situation, this exact situation? Be honest with yourself here, because in the last several years, that would have probably sealed the deal. That play right there on the road probably seals the deal. But tight end Arliss Boardingham turns a short pass on 4th and 11 into a 14-yard gain and capped the drive seven plays and another 4th down conversion later with a bobbling reception, which cut the Carolina lead to 37-34. The Florida defense, who was horrendous for most of the day, finally gets a stop. Finally gets a stop at the key moment and a heave to Pearsall on 4th down, really a prayer in some sense there. It, it, it fourth and 10 on the Gators 25 keeps the drive alive and it's end. It, it ends with a Pearsall touchdown, which leads to a key SEC win, a five and two record to start the season in a, in a five and two record. Will any one of us would have signed up for that in the preseason? Hell of a way to cap off the first part of the season before the bye week will. Yeah, I mean this this game showed a lot of toughness for the Gators. I mean, I think the the comment you made about how often do they not win this game? Well, about four times last year, right? I mean, it had the exact same feel as the Tennessee game last year, where Napier was pretty aggressive. They were they were trying to go downfield. Uh, Mertz obviously throws for four twenty three, so that's very similar to Richardson throwing for over four hundred last year against Tennessee. And they just couldn't catch up last year against Tennessee. He goes for the two-point conversions when they were down 14 or when they were down, I think, uh, 15 or whatever it was, and they end up five points down because they don't get any of the two-point conversions. And then, you know, there's a heave into the end zone, but really that's all they sort of had towards the end. This one had a little bit more time. They were only down 10. Um, you can make an argument that on the play where Castell got trucked, there were about 17 holdings on South Carolina. Maybe that one should have come back. But then again, probably a good thing it didn't come back because that Florida defense wasn't going to stop them. <laughs> Even if they got the holding call there, so there uh, wasn't a like hold on the on the tackle. Well, on the tackle attempt, that was just no, no, no. That 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 one was that. One I love was... Castell too. I think he's played great this year. That was a rough, rough play though. <laughs> well, but both the corner and the linebacker got held on that one. So, yeah. uh, um, but anyway, you know, look, sometimes that gets called. It doesn't get called when you're on the road a lot, and and Florida finds themselves down ten, and and at that point. You know, I think we we were definitely texting back and forth going, ooh, this is going to get ugly. Like four and three going into the bye week, going to play Georgia with really no hope of beating Georgia. Um, this one, not only does it put you to five and two and you kind of feel good about yourself heading into the bye week for a couple of weeks, but all of a sudden you start letting yourself wonder a little bit. Like, could we get that one? Like, what would happen if we got that next one, right? And you're in a position to where you'd be first place in the SEC East if you were able to get that one next week, as opposed to if you lost it, then you're just trying to play spoiler, right? You're just trying to take down a team that's got national championship aspirations. And that's fun, obviously, to to, to ruin their dreams and, and make them feel terrible about themselves. But um, at the same time, like playing for something is much, much more fun. And Florida's still playing for something because they were tough and stepped up in the fourth quarter when they needed to. Yeah, I, hey, look, I, this was a game that this was a scenario really that it was tough to envision. It was just really tough to envision this type of performance out of the team. And we'll start with Graham Mertz, Will. All, all, all season long, all offseason, I think you and I have, have not we, – we've really just seen him for what he's been. And that's what – we're not trying to paint a picture of something that doesn't exist. We just look at the data and we look at the quarterback on the field – 
and we just try to share what we think about the quarterback play. I'm going to go through and read through Graham Mertz's career stats so far, Will. Four times in his career, this dating back to 2020 when he, when he was a starter at Wisconsin, four times in his career, he's thrown for one, under 100 yards in, in a start. 18 times under 199. 14 times under 299. One time, 300, 399, and one time over 400. One time over 400 yards. Games with three touchdowns or more, one time in 2020, one time in 2021, one time in 2022, two times this season, two times so far. Vandy last week has been the last two weeks. So all I have to say is that if you saw 423 yards passing, three touchdowns and no interceptions coming from Graham Mertz, then good for you. Good for you on that prediction because you should hit me up with the lottery numbers in a couple weeks here because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you saw that coming because I don't know how bad that Gamecocks defense was, and I don't really care either. But what we just witnessed was by far the best performance of Graham Mertz's college career on Saturday. We saw him as more of a game manager type of quarterback. Don't let him make the big mistake has been the focus all season long. Hey, a couple weeks ago after Kentucky, one of the questions that I specifically asked was, if you're not going to let him be the veteran to take the chances, then then what's the difference of putting him out there versus freshman or, or him out there versus sophomore? It's him out there versus anyone. So I like the fact that Mertz has shown the ability to manage with a high completion percentage and not make a ton of mistakes so far. But Saturday was the first time we saw a quarterback who really is used his experience to make plays, was aggressive down the field, and he really put the team on the shoulder on his shoulders late. Florida doesn't win this football game without Graham Mertz's performance on Saturday, and it, it was just outstanding to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was fun, right? It was fun to see a guy who finally started going downfield. I know they had one drive. It was like five plays, 75 yards and a touchdown. And you texted me and were like, that's like watching an old school Florida offense where they actually like I was the watching down the Gators the on Saturday. Will take some shots and, and go downfield. And, and I think the most telling play in the entire game was the little flood where he had Trey Wilson wide open underneath for what probably would have been 12 to 15 yards. And instead he let it fly and he threw it down to Khalil Jackson and Khalil Jackson made an awesome Great. catch sort of like horizontal as he brought that thing in with his yeah. hands. It's had a couple but, of nice catches. This season. But to trust, to trust Jackson to make that, to make that catch, to trust the offense to make that throw, right? It was the right read. He needed to go deep on that one, but he did it. And in the past few games, he hasn't done that. And so we finally started to see him sort of let it loose. We started to see him trust the receivers a little bit downfield. And then the other part of it was he had to. This was one of those where, you know, just like the Tennessee game last year where Billy Napier was ultra aggressive, both on fourth down and also with his play calling with Anthony Richardson, like you can make an argument that in the game against Utah and especially in the game against Kentucky last year that Billy Napier was pretty conservative in terms of his play calling with Anthony Richardson and then he opened it up against Tennessee well why did he open it up against Tennessee it was because he knew Florida's defense couldn't stop him and in some ways I think that's kind of what happened against South Carolina this weekend is they had to open it up because they couldn't stop South Carolina they knew they were in a shootout they knew they needed to get all the points they could when they had opportunities and they still settled for a bunch of field goals they were a little bit longer field goals in this one the, the drives didn't necessarily stall in the red zone they stalled you know in the the 25 or 30 yard line and forced sort of 40 45 yard field goals and Trey Smack a big weapon right i mean you got four, what was he four or five so you got 12 points from your kicker in a game where you won by two obviously that's an important part of it too those drives are going to have to, you know, Florida's offense is going to have to convert those at a little bit higher clip. You can't keep stalling in those cases. But when the rubber met the road at the end, when Florida needed 14 points and, you know, they could have sat there and they could have settled and they could have taken a field goal, especially the one play you omitted in your summary there was the pass that merged through behind Ricky Pearsall that got that got sniped down by Trey Wilson and turned it, into like a 15 or 20 yard run. Yep. And that put Florida right in the field goal range where the way Spack was kicking, you're like, all right, well, we've got the tie. And, you know, one of the things that I think Napier has been criticized for and Mertz too is a level of conservatism that isn't necessarily healthy for the offense. And instead they went for it. They went for it. 
And, you know, look, they got the single high coverage look with the one safety. Mertz does the pump fake to the left. Pearsall runs an awesome route where he, where he fakes outside to the corner and then comes inside. So he gets his man to go wide. And then and then Mertz holds the safety because of the pump fake. And it, and it opens up that throw right down the seam and he hits it. And I think Nick Della Torre had, a, had an article today talking about how he had missed that exact same throw against Penn State when he was at Wisconsin. And so that one meant a little bit more to Mertz because he hit that right at the right time, right when he needed it for a game winner in this case, whereas he missed it in the past when he was at Wisconsin. So look, Mertz played really well in this game. QB rating, it's interesting. His QB rating was 157. It was 170 last week, 167 against Kentucky. So one of the things we've been saying is that his efficiency numbers have been very, very high, but that hasn't necessarily passed the eye test in terms of the explosion for the Florida offense. This one, his QB rating is a little bit lower, but the offense was way more explosive, 10 explosive plays and only two of them on the ground. Um, so eight of them through the air, four of them to Pearsall. But you know, look, there was there was a cup, there was one to Jackson, there was one to Boardingham, there was one to Wilson. Um, and so they were able to sort of spread the ball around as well. And so as those weapons are emerging, Mertz seems to be starting to get a little bit more comfortable. Now, the one caveat to all that stuff is that South Carolina and Vanderbilt's defenses are both really bad. Right. And Florida only really has – well, I guess Florida has two bad defenses left on the schedule. There's LSU and there's Arkansas. Both of those teams are relatively limited on the defensive side of the ball. But then there's some other defenses coming up that, that are that are going to be better. So we're going to see, right? I mean, that is the caveat is that it's been two straight two straight weeks of defenses that are bad, and we'll see whether he can continue it on as, as the season progresses. Well, they didn't light up Charlotte like this. They didn't light up McNeese like this. So it's like it's interesting to see that they have this ability because we haven't seen that. To, to this degree this was this was uh it, again you're kind of figuring out okay so that's that's where the ceiling is right now they put up another performance that was above the ceiling it really will part of the reason you hear us talk about all season here feed two feed seven right that's been the mantra around here the reason we talk about that is because that's where they've had the, the success if you're scoring 40 plus points and you're ripping the ball up and down the field i don't care how you score but if you're struggling and that's the formula for success, then by all means, hand hand it off, hand it off to two, hand it off to seven. But you got guys like Trey Wilson, who we've, who we've liked the talent, but we haven't seen a ton of. We've seen him kind of emerge in, in, in a few different games, but it's nice to see him start to kind of get in a flow with the offense here. Ricky Pearsaw has been a pretty steady presence the last couple of years, but really boarding him, I feel like it's been a huge difference in the last couple of games here, really emerging five catches, 55 yards and a touchdown. Again, a couple of real key receptions there too, for boarding him, Trey Wilson, six receptions for 83 yards, no touchdowns today uh, or against South Carolina there and 10 receptions, 166 yards in the game winning TD for Pearsaw. Pearsall was all, all over the place. Will he's making difficult catches. He's doing all types of things. I have to think that him coming back, I I, I hope he's really helping his NFL stock this season. Cause I am seeing things out of him last year that I don't think we quite saw last or this year that we didn't see in 2022. I think he's really playing at a high level this year. And uh, Graham Mertz seems to love targeting Ricky Pearsall. So it's been, it's been a great uh, start here for Pearsall to the season overall. But really, in the last few weeks here, with Wilson getting healthy and boarding him emerging, this is a different looking offense heading into the back half of the season than what we what we were expecting in the front end. We were hoping that someone could step up, that one of the freshmen would, would catch on. We were hoping to see an emergence out of the tight end position, even though in the past, you, you know how many catches the tight ends had all last season? Yeah, Keon Zipper led the, the group with 13 receptions, right? Xander's had 10 receptions. Boardingham, like 30 receptions from the position as a whole last year. Boardingham can easily eclipse that if he continues, if he continues right now, probably in the next game here. So he's he's almost there already, Will. So he, he's, if we can get Boardingham going, man, this offense has some different options and it's not going to be the the sluggish Big Ten style, the, the feed two, feed seven, grind it out type of offense that we were expecting based on the first few games. Well, I still think there's a place for that at the same time. I think we've also realized and Napier's realized that the identity of this team cannot be just sit down and let the offensive line blow the defense off the ball and, you know, hey, we roll the ball out there, the offensive line going to drive people back and and we're going to win that way. And 
you know, given the fact that Osiris Torrance left and Tarquin transferred and White transferred and, you know, all the turnover that we saw on the offensive line, eh, probably should have expected there were going to be some growing pains there. Um, at the same time, if we look at when Florida has been successful this year, the South Carolina game is the only time they've been successful when they haven't necessarily been real effective running the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a long-term solution for Florida. And I don't know that you want to put Mertz in that situation. What I will say is that Pearsall, Wilson, and Boardingham are giving Mertz what he needs to be successful. So Boardingham has three explosives, so 20-plus yard plays in the last two games. He starts off the game with an explosive in this one. The fourth down play where really I think the underrated part of that is when he broke that tackle, he had to break it in a way where the guy couldn't get him by the ankle or by the foot. And so he 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 took a wide enough angle that the defender could only get his hand on his hip, not down to his legs. But he had to cut the angle off narrow enough that he could outrace the guys to the sticks. He was able to do that. On the touchdown catch a couple plays later, if he doesn't knock that ball to himself, and that was a terrible throw by Mertz, if he doesn't knock that ball down first, that's an interception. There was a defensive mm-hmm. back sitting right behind there to intercept it. Yep. Um, same thing. You think about, you think about Ricky Pierce. Saw he he's he ran a great route on that seam going right down the middle for the game-winning touchdown. The over-the-shoulder catch that he makes, if he doesn't make that one, the whole complexion of that drive looks different. And then you look at a guy like uh you look a guy like Khalil Jackson, right? We talked about the long one down the field. If Jackson doesn't make that catch, then everything starts to look different. Like things really started to open up once Florida started to hit some throws downfield. But right there, we're the one explosive for Boardingham. And then the fourth down conversion, the throw to Pierce all down the field over the shoulder and the throw to Khalil Jackson. We're talking probably 110 of the yards that that Mertz put up in the game and three key plays to touchdowns that they, you know, they not only have they not made those plays this year, they haven't even attempted to make them. So now they're attempting to make them. And the fact that those guys are able to step up is great. Like you mentioned, Boardingham, he's got 18 catches now. Trey Wilson has 26, even though he's missed a couple of games. Ricky Pearsall is at 44. And, you know, I think the perception of Pearsall is that he's much more. What's that? 44. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been targeted a ton and he's played every game too, but I think the perception of Pearsall is he's kind of a possession receiver and a good route runner and all that sort of stuff. I think that has a lot to do with his appearance. Uh, but the reality is I think he's going to run pretty fast when they put him in the combine. Like, I don't know that he's going to run like a four, three, five or anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if he runs somewhere between four, four and four, five. He blew away the Florida state defensive backs in that game last year against FSU. He was open the entire game. He beat them deep a couple of times. He beat them deep on a, post they started to get scared of him so all of a sudden the little digs and the hitches were open like Pearsall's a weapon out there and I think people who underestimate him as a possession receiver one didn't watch what how they used him at Arizona State where he was really their burner when he was at Arizona State and then transfers into Florida and last year was the guy who was catching the ball behind the defense a lot last year for Anthony Richardson though sometimes that was Justin Shorter as well so those guys you know Boardingham Wilson and and uh and Pearsall obviously are a big part of things. Boardingham stepping up is big because he can break some tackles, mm-hmm. right? Trey Wilson is really quick. They get him on the edge. You're sitting there going, oh, is he going to take this one to the house? And then he runs into somebody who sort of falls backwards, right? Like like he's he's not running into a tackle and breaking a tackle. Boardingham's a different animal, right? You, you throw it to him. And all of a sudden, he can break a tackle in a way that uh, in a way that none of the other guys can. Now he's probably not going to take it to the house. But he's gonna get. He's gonna turn that eight-yard hitch into a fourteen-yard play. He's gonna turn the four-yard dump off into a first down when it's fourth and eleven. Which we've been and lacking. We've been lacking in this absolutely for a long time. Yeah, really. Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts has that weapon. If you look at Pitts, I was looking at his numbers. Uh, even in twenty twenty, he averaged about a little over five catches game on that. Right. So if you're putting up five catches here, boarding him and seven catches last week. I mean, this is this is huge production out of a tight end position when Billy Napier's offenses have historically not shown almost any production from the tight end position. So this is, this is a revelation. This is Billy Napier growing as an offensive coordinator too, where you're seeing like the, the tight end get more involved. I think you're also seeing because Boardingham has been uh, made some big plays quietly. Hayden Hansen's had a nice presence on the offense as well. You saw a couple of receptions out of him. Uh, nice two-point conversion where he's wide open, the well-designed play where he was wide open on that one. So Hanson looks like a good threat too. So really both of those tight ends starting to be a, an emerging threat in the passing game. It's it, it can really help with this offense, especially when we're looking for you know the receiving core is not the deepest right now. So we really need that extra help in the passing game right now. 
Yeah. Now, the one thing I will say is that um, Florida did this in a really unique way for this comeback, and they needed the skill sets of the guys who at receiver to really be able to pull this thing off because they started out the game three of four on third downs in the first quarter, and then they were one of 11 from then on. The last two touchdowns they scored, they didn't convert one third down the entire time. It was all fourth down conversions. You mentioned the throw to Pearsall on the fourth and 10. Now, that was I, I thought that was pretty nice play by Mertz. He saw the pressure coming off the edge, managed to make the corner miss, and then knew he had one-on-one coverage downfield with all three receivers and got the ball to Pearsall. But still, you're not going to be able to rely long term on no third down conversions and having to rely on fourth down conversions. But in this game specifically, they got the job done. And in many ways, I mean, I, the, the thing I the thing I was thinking after boarding him got that first down was how much would people have killed Mertz for dumping that ball off on fourth and 11 if boarding had gotten tripped up? Right. No one would have blamed boarding him for not turning that into a first down. It would have been. He goes downfield the entire freaking game and then dumps it off on fourth and 11. What's going on here, right? And so you can see how thin that razor's edge is that this team that this team sort of sort of rides because that one play, if they get stopped there, game's over, right? South Carolina wins. Now, you know, you could probably say that about a few plays on the South Carolina side as well. This is a really close matchup. There's a reason why Vegas only had it two and a half points um, in South Carolina's favor. But, uh, you know, look, Florida got the job done when they had to in this one. Kudos to those three guys specifically at receiver. Kudos to Mertz for getting it done when he had to get it done. And uh, you know, like you said, five and two, we would have taken that all all you, all year long. You talk all off about, You talk about that Razor's hedge will two tip passes to Boardingham to himself. That probably would have been an interception if he doesn't get his hand on it to tip it. And then the pure saw to Wilson. Wilson caught that thing in stride, pretty much right. Like he just he just took it and popped off and. On TV, it was like you had to catch up for a second on what actually happened there, but that that, that was just a lucky break, pure lucky. Well, now break, we need to so. put a now we need to put a hook and lateral in the playbook because clearly that's a play that Wilson needs to run. Like you need yeah. to run a little run a little slant for Ricky Pearsall, throw it to him, actually catch it, and then run the lateral off of it. And uh, we've seen what can happen when you do it by accident. So now we need to do it on purpose. <laughs> well, we saw we did see Wilson some different looks, right? He got some wildcat looks this weekend too. We saw the ugliest version of the Philly special you will ever see. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but Hey, they're trying. Yeah, there's a reason why I didn't bring it up. There's a reason why I didn't bring it up. All right. It's like you said, if I told you before the game, well, if I just read, I'm going to read you these, these stats and tell me if the Gators won or lost four 15 on third down conversions, uh, 33 rushes, 71 yards. Are the Gators going to win? Not probably not most of the time, but especially with this team, probably not most of the time. But will like you said, you know, it's nice. It's nice to to come through in a, in a close game here, and it's been it's been a couple of years of struggling in these moments, and so it was a lot of fun to see uh, this team go on the road and get a huge, huge win in SEC play to to take it to five and two, five and two, y'all. Great start to the first part of the season here. Uh, that's the fun part. Now we talk about the defense. Now we talk about the defense. So deep, the defense, they, I the overall summary, they struggled, but they came up with stops when they absolutely needed needed it. 313 yards through the air from Spencer Rattler, 152 yards on the ground, 465 overall. Not great. Gamecocks were 5 of 10 on third downs. The Gators gave up receptions of 20 yards or more to six different South Carolina receivers. Will Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Like, Six different receivers caught receptions of 20 yards or, or more in this game for South Carolina. Uh, the Gamecocks, they they chewed up the Gators' defense, scoring on six of their first nine full possessions, not counting the one right before the half there. And it, it didn't quite look as helpless as Kentucky on the defensive side, but it wasn't pretty for most of the day. Uh, the Gators' defense, they find a way to step up and get off the field, though, in the last two possessions, forcing a punt, which set up the – game-winning score, and then the uh, clinching interception there by safety Miguel Mitchell from Spencer Rattler. So while there's plenty to talk about in terms of the negatives here, I do want to give some credit to the defense for coming through when it mattered the most. So it's like you said, wasn't the prettiest. I'm not sure this is the formula to a lot of victories, but Austin Armstrong's group got it done when it mattered, Will. 
Yeah, this is a formula to one victory because yes. they happen to get this one. Um, that's about it. Like you mentioned, they did a great job on the last couple of drives, um, forcing the interception. They got pressure on Rattler, forced him to throw the ball up. That ball gets intercepted once Florida gone ahead. The drive previous when Florida needed a stop, I thought they got kind of a bogus roughing the passer penalty. He might have oh. hit him a little late, but it was it was it was a little love tap. It was not anything. It wasn't like a couple of years ago, or I guess what was it last year when Javon Dexter, Dexter like landed LSU. on on LSU's quarterback. Um, it wasn't like that. This was, this was, I thought it was kind of cheap at the same time. Again, I think sort of a blessing in disguise because it reset the downs for South Carolina and because Florida was able to put them in like first and or in second and 12, you know, they finally got a tackle for loss. It was a great play by Tyreek Sapp running down the running back from behind, but also an equally good play by Princely human Milan who set the edge and made sure the running back had to go, had to go horizontal. And that allowed Tyreek Sapp to then chase him down. The, the big problem with the D, defense that I can see is just the defensive tackles are getting pushed backwards. And some of that is they're getting double teamed, but they are not getting pushed. You look at guys like Caleb Banks and guys like um, guys like Chris McClellan and Desmond Watson. I mean, they've got two tackles for loss between those three guys. Um, and, and Cam Jackson has, has a half a tackle for loss as well. So look, this defense isn't necessarily asking these guys to get an enormous amount of penetration, but just if you drive your offensive lineman back into the backfield every once in a while, at some point, the running back is going to run into you, and you're going to get credit for a tackle for a loss. Those guys are not getting a ton of pressure up the middle. Now, if you look at the, if you look at the interception that that uh, that Milton Joe Milton threw for Tennessee, there was pressure up the middle. If you look at the interception that Spencer Rattler threw in this one, there was pressure up the middle. There's a formula for Florida to be able to get these sorts of turns turnovers and be able to get these sorts of stops. They just haven't had that formula very often. You look at it, they got two interceptions this year. They've only forced four fumbles, and I think they've only recovered two of them. I think they have four total turnovers the entire year. Without without pressure up the middle, without without being able to hold up the middle, then you don't you don't, you're your defensive ends have to be worried about the run, so they can't be as aggressive going up the field. Your linebackers get mauled because you're being occupied by one off, you know, by one offensive lineman, um, and they're able to get to the second level. And so everything starts there. And there, there are certainly individual players on. You know, you talked about Castell getting run over a couple of times. Shamar James wasn't in the right gap, but overall. The issue for Florida's defense is up front in the middle. The reason they were good to start the year is those guys were doing a good job of holding the point of attack early in the year. The reason they have struggled in the Kentucky game and in the South Carolina game is that they have not been able to hold the point of attack, and it all sort of stems from there. Now, one thing I will say is, at least on the ground, there was the 30-yard run for Anderson, and then it's not like South, it's not like South Carolina really ran. I mean, South Carolina ran for 122 yards after that one run, which was the first first run of this of the game now look explosives count and you can't just eliminate that from the ledger but this was much more that spencer rattler was picking them apart in the secondary but one of the reasons he was able to pick them apart in the secondary is he's relatively mobile so even when they got in there he you move him off platform that's not really a big problem for rattler and then the other aspect of it is they just didn't move him off platform very much there wasn't a whole lot of pressure certainly wasn't pressure up the middle and they're gonna have to figure that out because um you know the there is going to have to be an uptick in pressure because the defensive backs just are not able to hold up right now. When you give the quarterback time to get the ball off and throw deep, we saw it multiple times where there were jump balls essentially that were thrown up to wide receivers and the Florida defensive backs. It was an all too familiar sight, right? We've seen that where the Florida defensive backs have, uh, have, have struggled when they get a one-on-one matchup down the field, even if they're running stride for stride with the guy. And sometimes they're not even running stride for stride with the guy. So that's where I see, I mean, that's where I see the issues. Those issues are, are on the defense at the defensive tackle first. And it sort of, cascades from there but here's the deal if you'd have told you know you you named off all those stats and said would florida have won the game but if you'd have told me that south carolina averaged 7.4 yards per play and florida averaged 6.1 i would have told you oh florida got beat by 14 points right and instead florida ends up winning this one by two and you look at it and go what that really means is that florida converted all the opportunities that they had when they got close and South Carolina didn't. So like the deep throw that Jalen Kimber gave up down the field, 
on the next play, they threw something out of the flat and Kimber flattened the running back or, uh, you know, came up and made the tackle, flattened him, made it a, you know, a tackle for loss on that one. And all of a sudden South Carolina ends up settling for a field goal. Those sorts of things, the defense, when it really counted, they were able to most of the time step up, but obviously, you know, the safety is not their fault, but still you give up 37 points. You're not happy with the performance. And I don't, I don't expect Austin Armstrong to be real pleased with this one. Certainly. Yeah. Plenty to critique, plenty to work on. But do you do gotta give him credit for coming through in the right moments, in the right moments with his defense. So that that's the we'll end that one on a good note because we can pick that. We got the bye week. We'll talk about it more next week. Sure. Uh free bye week review. Uh going over basically up to this point in the season here, five and two record. Like we said, we would have taken that in a heartbeat in the preseason. Uh these the Gators teams just one one went off of a bold trip. Uh not sure. Maybe we should have a new rule at Florida that let's win eight or nine before we go to a bowl game. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I could stomach another six win bowl season that uh, involves uh, playing a mediocre program in a bowl that we end up getting slaughtered in. Well, maybe we should have a new bowl standard around here, but technically bowl eligible. If we get one more win, I think that's a great start to the season. This team's also been real interesting too, because yes or no, Will, do you have a great feel for this group yet? Because we've seen them do it in different ways. We've seen them win in different ways. We've seen them uh, – the, the losses were pretty similar, actually, in some ways. But we, we've seen a lot of different versions of this Gator team take the field through seven games. Yeah, I'm starting to get a pretty good feel. I mean, they are who they are, right? I mean, I think what we see is that irrespective of who the opposition is, the defense has struggled against Utah, Kentucky, and South Carolina. Lo and behold, those are games that are on the road. Right. And then, and then, uh, you know, now it's helped that the home games are Tennessee, Charlotte and Vanderbilt, but Tennessee's had a pretty good defense this year and Florida was able to take advantage of them, especially in the first half. I think that's really what you're looking at is that the defense is going to struggle on the road, which means, you know, the offense is going to have to step up in those cases. Now, the one thing I think that is concerning is if you look at the teams that they played so far, the highest rated quarterback they played is Spencer Rattler, and he absolutely torched them. Everybody else has been somewhere between 110 and 130, except for Ken Seals for Vanderbilt, but that that's sort of a limited sample size because they had somebody playing before him. Um, and, and so I don't necessarily think that's going to be where he ends up at the end of the year. So they have played a lower level of quarterback. So Joe Milton's at 133.6. Uh, Jalen Jones for Charlotte's at 111. Devin Leary's at 130. Um, Barnes for Utah's at 107, right? So they haven't played quarterbacks who are outstanding. South Carolina Rattler, he's at 163 at this point. But if you look at who they got coming up, you got Georgia, Carson Beck, 164. You got KJ Jefferson, 149. You got Jaden Daniels, 198. You got Missouri with, with Cook, 169. Then you got Travis at 154. So the five, it's going to be five of the, you know, five of the six best quarterbacks this defense has seen is who's coming up on the schedule. And obviously three of those games against Beck, neutral site against LSU on the road and Missouri is Missouri on the road this year. Yes. Um, Missouri is on the road as well. So those three games specifically are the ones you look at and say, is the defense going to be able to hold up against better quarterbacks on the road where they've struggled? Or is it going to be sort of the same old, same old where they're not getting any pressure up front and those guys can sit back and just pick them apart. That's a good observation. I, I think LSU that that one uh, that one's interesting because you got the balance of the defense with LSU too. Maybe that's something we could put up some point. That's another game we could put up some points in. Will, but let, let's we'll save the Georgia talk for next week. We'll talk Georgia in detail. We'll do an entire Georgia preview show next week. So we'll save the dogs talk a little bit. But let's look at that the the November slate here. Arkansas at home. Will this looks like? Beginning of the season, K.J. Jefferson, a lot of experience. Sam Pittman's teams have been tough. A little bit of a down year for Arkansas, though. A little bit of a down year so far. This looks like the game that you circle in red saying, like, that's probably our that, that's probably number six. for That's the best shot at number six right now, right? I mean, not probably. This is absolutely the one you circle. Yeah. Arkansas right now is 118th in yards per play on offense. They're 70th in yards per play allowed. So they have a negative 1.1 differential in terms of how many yards they're giving up versus how many they're gaining. Florida's at negative 0.2. So Florida has a significant advantage in that particular game, in that particular circumstance. Now, the worry there is that KJ Jefferson has been really sort of not the KJ Jefferson of the past couple of years. 
And is that because he's injured? Is it because of their offensive coordinator? Is it because they don't have the skill players that he needs to be able to succeed? Those are things that I think Florida and us, as we analyze it, are going to have to figure out. But the reality is, is that their offense has not been good this year. Their defense has been better than last year, but it was putrid last year. And so, you know, that's still a unit that can be taken advantage of. And so, yeah, that's, and and then it's at home, right? It's in the swamp. So that's the one you look at and say, all right, like, and again, I think it, it sort of goes back to what you said about the five and two and why that's so important. Because if you get that win against Arkansas and you said, we're six and five going into a home game against Florida State. And we get to spoil something that they're going after. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty important. Um, you know, w- w- how do you feel about that heading into the season? I think we would have said if we can get to seven and five with wins over Tennessee and Florida state, we'd be pretty happy. So again, I think as long as they take care of business, this is, this is something where at the end of the year, we're going to look at it and say, yeah, I, I think that the team has, has done a pretty good job of meeting expectations, but that Arkansas game is the one it's the flashing neon sign that says, get the job done there. And all of a sudden now these other ones maybe don't have the pressure on them that they'd have otherwise. LSU on the road at the beginning of the year, that looked like that was almost a certain, you almost penciled that in as an L no doubt, but Florida LSU is a goofy, it's a goofy series. It's, you can't really predict it. It doesn't really matter how good one side is or how bad the other is. It tends to be a close game most years. And I know you think like oh Baton Rouge we don't we actually do better in Baton Rouge than you you you'd think if you look back historically on it so it's something with this LSU team they've been a little up and down this year the defense is horrendous we know that Jane Daniels might be working his way toward a Heisman Trophy he's in the hunt he's in the conversation the offense is great but as good as the offense is the defense is that bad against LSU. And if Florida can have the high ceiling, a high ceiling performance like we saw against a bad defense this past weekend with the LSU game, all of a sudden, a little bit of a different matchup there. Uh, the LSU game, Will, what are your thoughts on it? I'm hoping for the fog to roll in in Baton Rouge because that's the profile. <laughs> that honestly, that's the profile of this game, right? Is that that LSU team? LSU team was limited with Max Johnson at quarterback. It was a it was a game where you were like, oh god, like we should just roll right over them in in 2020 when it when it was Trask and and Pitts and Tony though they they held out Tony right or I'm sorry they held out Pitts in that game. And Trask was unbelievable that year. The Florida offense couldn't be stopped and the defense couldn't stop anybody. And so when you think about where LSU is, that's exactly who they are. And actually, I think the Max Johnson and Graham Mertz comparison is pretty pretty apropos. So what we need is we need LSU to chuck a couple of shoes. And, uh, you know, I I think you're right. Like this is one that can get weird because LSU is going to feel like they have to score every time they get the ball. And Florida probably isn't going to feel that kind of pressure just because LSU's defense isn't that good. And so there is going to, there is a path for Florida to win this game that is probably more, um, that's, that's the, the, the opportunity for Florida to win this game is more wide open than we would have thought to start the year, right? This is one where in our preview magazine, both of us had this as an L. You know, we picked win-lose or, or toss-up, and I think we had a bunch of toss-ups early in the year. We had a few toss-ups towards the end, but the LSU game was an L in the cat- in the in the column for both team or for both of us. And I think we'd still probably pick LSU, but we wouldn't be surprised if Florida pulled this one out, um, given what we've seen so far. At least we wouldn't be shocked. I think we'd be surprised, but we wouldn't be shocked. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's an opportunity there, just given how bad that defense is, because it is bad. Yeah, a little, little different look to that matchup than we would have expected earlier on. Missouri on the road. Listen, nobody likes to disrespect Missouri as much as I do. I love talking trash about Missouri. Not an Eli Drinkwitz fan, so it, it hurts me to say that I think they're actually sneaky decent this year, Will. They seem to be doing some good things out there at Mizzou. Uh, this going to be – I think this is going to be a very tough road game for Billy Napier and company. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing here is is just Brady Cook. I mean, Brady Cook has gone from being a player who was a liability to a guy who's now winning him games. He's averaging 9.4 yards per attempt. 
He's got 14 touchdowns and three interceptions. His QB ratings 169. He's averaging 13.3 yards per completion. And he's also got 50 rush attempts for 70 yards. So he's a positive in that direction when you rush him, when he gets outside the pocket. Again, that doesn't sound like a lot, but since sacks are built into rush yards for quarterbacks, what that really means is that he's probably been sacked 20 of those 50 rushes, which means he's probably averaging three or four yards every time he takes off, which means he's a threat outside the pocket. And we just saw what a guy who's a threat outside the pocket can do his yards above replacement. I have him at 1.07. So that is not like Heisman level, but that's like Jake Fromm back for back for Georgia and what 2018, 2019 range. Um, that's a really good player. And that's somebody who compared to where Mertz sits and some of the limitations he has, you know, that that's a team that, that, that offense should be able to light up Florida like a Christmas tree. They're sort of a mid-range defense. They're ranked 66th overall in yards per play allowed. Um, that that compares relatively favorably to like the Kentuckys of the world and those sorts of teams that Florida's played so far. Um, Tennessee's a little bit better than that. But, um, you know, so that's kind of what you're looking at is you're looking – now, Kentucky had a specific game plan that I thought was really effective against Florida. If Missouri comes in with a game plan and is able to take away what Florida wants to do, the question is going to be how do the Gators adjust? Now, I think they adjusted a little bit against South Carolina, but that that to me is the question. The, the question coming out of this bye week is going to be, is it, did Florida's offense look good the last two weeks because of who they were playing? And if so, then they'll look good against Arkansas and LSU and bad against everybody else. And if the, if the offense is average against Missouri, Missouri's going to win that game. That's just the reality is Missouri is too good on the offensive side of the ball. They're 19th in yards per play. And, and, uh, and Bolden is an awesome player. Like Bolden is one of like, we talked about Pearsall always being open, being a weapon, targeting him all the time. Bolden for, for Missouri is, you know, former five-star recruit and has proven out to be everything they could have hoped as a five-star recruit coming in there. That guy is unbelievable. And he, he's part of the reason that makes us, you know, part of what makes this engine go But with cook being as good as he has with Borden playing really well. You know, that that that's going to make that one a really tough one. And I think, again, before the season, we might have even penciled that one in as a W for Florida. Um, it's definitely moved into the toss up, if not an L at this point, given what the what the Tigers have done so far. Yeah. Luther uh, Burden, the wide receiver, five star wide receiver out of St. Louis, been a big threat for uh, Eli Drink. Drink was his offense there. Well, Burden. God, I can't believe I mispronounced what, his name the whole time. <laughs> what? I like I I didn't catch it the first couple times. I was like, I think it's Burton. All right, so no big deal, no big deal. Luther Burton. But hey, let's let's uh let's read the challenging path to undefeated Florida State coming to Gainesville. Well, you ready? Oh God. You got Duke Blue Devils here coming in. Uh Mighty Duke. Uh probably the toughest is this the toughest one left on Florida State schedule here at Wake Forest, at Pitt, which can be dangerous places for mid-level ACC teams but if you're this year if you're Florida State this year you better get it done in those spots you got Miami coming to town which we could do a little side stop on Miami well we could take a knee maybe take a knee for a moment for Miami here that's Tebow Uh, for Miami uh uh, the Georgia Tech loss was so brutal that was so brutal and then the uh and then last week I watched that North Carolina game I I it was funny last week. The games at noon and at night were the seven o'clock and the noon games were just pretty for the most part, just blowouts. It was not great. That all the action was in that three thirty, all those three thirty games. That Oregon Washington game was awesome too. Well, that but, and the Friday game for uh, for Colorado. Oh, that everybody insane. went to bed before they uh, before it went. <laughs> They've had a couple of classics this year, man. Did they, they Dion's team's entertaining? That's for sure. Uh, at North Carolina, uh, not pretty there for the Hurricanes, but. The question with Miami now is like, what's the quit factor? What's the quit factor with this team? We've seen Miami absolutely roll over in previous years. And, Will, you don't have a get-right game coming to town. You have the Clemson Tigers on the way. So Clemson's coming to town to potentially deal Miami a third straight loss. If Miami gets by Clemson and gets back on track, all of a sudden that, that game on November 11th in Tallahassee is looking real interesting. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. So we'll see what the state of the Miami Hurricanes are by November 11th. But that looks to be their toughest matchup before the Florida game because you got North Alabama the week before the Gators for FSU. So there is a very good chance that if FSU gets by Duke this weekend, 
uh, which is unbelievable that I even am saying that sentence with an if in the front of it. But if they get by Duke this weekend, there's a high, high probability that FSU is coming into Gainesville at 11-0 and will potentially, even if they do drop one of these games, they're probably not dropping two. So very good chance that a ten, at least a 10-1 Florida State's rolling into Gainesville with a playoff berth on the line if they lose to the Gators. You know, it's interesting. So Riley Leonard started the the first five games there for Duke, gets his ankle hurt in the uh, in the game against Notre Dame. And now they've got Henry Belvin the fourth at quarterback <laughs> there at Duke. Went four for twelve for 107 yards and two touchdowns against NC State. They were able to obviously beat NC State, but this is a team that's gonna have to win it on the ground. You think about what what Florida state is good at. And that's not necessarily something that I think Duke is going to, this isn't the number 16 team that, that knocked off Clemson early in the year is sort of the point, right? Not having Leonard back there at quarterback. Now look, maybe Belvin turns out to be a, uh, uh, you know, Cinderella ends up uh, being able to pull this one out, but I don't think that's one we're necessarily looking at real hardcore wake forest just lost to Virginia tech. If you lose to Virginia tech this year, you're a pretty bad team pit. Yeah. It's in Pittsburgh, but come on, it's pit. They're not very good this year. Miami, like you said, the quit factor there, then North Alabama, who that's a tough one. And then at Florida. Right. And, and I think the, it's the at that makes me sort of Look at that one. It wasn't too long that too long ago that Florida State and Florida were playing that rock fight in the swamp where Anthony Richardson came in for Emory Jones. They had the missed onside kick in that game, and it was really, really close. I realized that Florida State's brought in a bunch of transfers. I realized that they've got Coleman now, wide receiver, who apparently can't be stopped. Um, but again, you mentioned LSU earlier and all the weird stuff that goes on there. For Florida State, at least, I think probably the Miami game is the one where they tell you all the weird stuff goes on there. So, uh, you know, but Honestly, I want them to come to the swamp undefeated. I want them to be there undefeated. undefeated. I want Florida to have the opportunity. If they're undefeated, they're in the ACC title game. And if they win the AC, if they lose to us and win the ACC title game, there's a chance they're sneaking in the playoffs with one loss. If they do drop one before they come to the swamp and it's like do or die for the playoff spot, that'd be great to. That'd be a great way to cap off the season. Just spoil a playoff appearance for Florida State. I would absolutely enjoy every second of that yeah i just want i just want to be able to knock him out of the playoffs so however that however that works um but uh you know that's one of those where like you know they come in undefeated you beat them like 56 to 6 and all of a sudden it's like well we can't let a team that just lost to like 50 into the playoff like come on (laughs) so uh you know so it'll end up being like washington and oregon who make it make it in this year I don't know if I got 56 to 6 of the cards, but I didn't have Graham Mertz throwing for 423. Anything is possible. Life is good. Great bye week. Gators go into the bye week on a high, man. It's it's th- Things are good right now. Things are good. Then, team, we, I mean, then we play Georgia. Then we play Georgia. So we'll see. Well, we'll see how long it continues for. But uh, for a couple of weeks, we get to enjoy the moment. The team has gone 6 and 7 for two straight years. Yeah. And they right now are 5 and 2. Right. right. And so there is an opportunity for them to exceed expectations. Vegas had them at five and a half to come into the year. I think we both looked at that and said, bang me over. And I think when it was 37, 27, South Carolina, we were all like, I think maybe we shouldn't I think maybe we should have done that. And all of a sudden Graham Mertz showed up and started chucking it downfield. So look, I think, you know, before the Georgia game, we didn't know this team had this in them. The ability to to be down 10, know that Mertz is throwing the ball and be able to drive it down the field. Now, again, I said they did it in a little bit of an unconventional, unconventional way, which means, yeah, I think that they're going to still have to improve. But that's sort of the cool part, right? They had some wrinkles in there. They had Trey Wilson back behind the quarterback as a running back with Montrell Johnson as a lead blocker. They tried the Philly special play and – man was Trey Wilson open and it was just like the worst throw you'll ever see coming out <laughs> coming out of there because merch was getting it as it was going on 423 but yards will yeah. folks on but, the they're, but they're building these sorts of things in the thing I want to see next is I want to see him run a return route if you remember like what Julian Edelman did a few years ago in the Super Bowl where you know you fake inside on the slant and then start going outside I think Trey Wilson has the ability to run those sorts of things getting him out there in you know if you think about sort of the option routes that uh, the Kadarius Tony ran a few years ago, where you just sort of go out right to the middle of the defense, you find out you got a linebacker one-on-one. If he plays you inside leverage, you go out. If he plays you outside leverage, you go in. 
and there's no way that linebacker can ever win. And all of a sudden, if the quarterback puts it on you, you're seven yards downfield when you catch it with a head of steam, and there's really an opportunity to take to the house. I think there's some things they're going to have coming into this Georgia game where they're going to be able to isolate some things on the Bulldogs. Now, whether or not that turns into a win, obviously, um, you know, we'll get there next week. But look, Bowers is out. Beck has not been all world and and Mertz is improving every every week and the weapons around him are improving every week. And that's not a coincidence, given the fact that Florida, you know, you saw that stat before the game this past week, the Florida's played the most true freshman of any power five team in college football this year. And so, look, we should expect these guys to get better as the season progresses. And that's all we can really ask for, right, is that they get better as the season progresses. We have seen that. We've also seen him take a step back against Utah and against Kentucky. And so, uh, you know, like you said, it might be short-lived once we get out there on the field against Georgia, but we get two weeks to hope, right? And and college football, more than anything, especially when it's pro- when you're program building, whether it's recruiting, whether it's, you know, the spring game, whether it's how you perform in these games, it's all about building up to something, and that means building hope. And this win over South Carolina builds hope for the program that, hey, we're about to take a step forward. Because, you know, look, in Dan Mullen's first year, they played South Carolina and looked like complete crap for the first three quarters after getting blown out by Missouri the week before and Drew Locke. And then all of a sudden they had that walk, that wacky play to Felipe Franks on the fourth down, bounces over his head on the snap, goes and picks it up, throws it, it bounces off of, uh, I think it was Kamori Gamble's head up into the air. Trevon Grimes catches it and then falls forward and pushes forward for a first down. And from that point on for the rest of the season, Florida's offense couldn't be stopped. And I mean, that was an anemic offense for the first, what, eight games of the year. And so, you know, it's happened before. I'm not saying it's going to happen again, but there's hope that it could. And and we get two weeks to tell ourselves that. And then, um, you know, hopefully we don't get our expectations up too high. So what what's a bye week Saturday look like in your house? Are you, you just flipping on watching some other games or uh, is that – is that uh, the one Saturday you're like, hey, let's uh, let's go do something, wife. Let's uh, figure something out for the day. We're going to the bar, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> my daughter's babysitting. We're going to be at the bar. <laughs> that sounds good. You got for for those of you looking for games to watch here this weekend, Ohio State and Penn State at noon. Uh, you got UCF making a trip to Oklahoma at noon. That's not a that's not a bad one right there. Tennessee Alabama at three thirty is probably the highlight of that three thirty slate. And then uh, you got Texas going to Houston could be a little interesting. But in the night slate here, you've got Utah at USC, Clemson at Miami. And that's probably – those are probably your biggest highlights. And, of course, the mighty blue De- Duke Blue Devils. Can't say the word. Can't say anything about that. The mighty Duke Blue Devils going into Tallahassee to, to face Florida State. Is and it- what will probably be their biggest challenge before the Florida Gators. Is that so, Penn State game in Happy Valley? No, it's in Columbus. Ah, I was going to say it's it's supposed to rain here Friday and Saturday. So, and we're, we're three hours away from where I, where I live is about three hours away from happy Valley. So if it's raining for two straight days, it's going to rain here. I was hoping they were going to be mudding up there and have uh, up in, uh, up in happy Valley. <laughs> have you been to a game up there? Not yet. I keep waiting for the Gators to schedule one. They need to get one up there. Hey, that, maybe, see, that, maybe that's the benefit. Hey, there you go. Game. Yeah. Now that's the benefit of a of a six uh, of a six win bowl game. They need to get to the pinstripe bowl, man, so I could be up in New York City and watch uh w- w- go watch the game at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that's a that's a cool environment. That's a cool environment up there. All right, well, good episode. We're in the books here. Another episode in the books. We uh, got a bye week this week, but we'll be back next week with another episode. Of Stand up and holler. We will be previewing. The Georgia Bulldogs. We we stayed off of them a little bit tonight because we want to save it for next week. But Florida Georgia week. I don't care what the records are. One of the best weeks of the year. Love watching this game. Looking forward to it next week. We'll be talk. We'll we'll be joining you next week for Will Miles. I'm Nick Knudsen. Have a great weekend, everybody, and go Gators. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.